Hello, my name is Matthew Kidman, and welcome to the latest episode of Success and More Interesting Stuff, brought to you by Livewire Markets. Every year, fund manager Eli Griffiths invites stockbrokers from across the country to a lavish dinner. In the cutthroat world of the share market, stockbrokers rarely get treated by their clients. Eli Griffiths, the 1.2 billion small company manager, known affectionately as Egg, is a rare breed. Egg, currently celebrating its 20th year, seems to value everyone that contributes to the process of grinding out returns in the volatile small company market. It is a deliberate strategy and reflects the founder's personality. Ben Griffiths is a 30 year plus veteran of the market. The son of a comedian, Griffiths has always loved an audience and appreciated their participation in the show, whether it be the speech at the annual dinner or the day-to-day process of picking stocks. Leaving school, Griffiths found himself on the trading floor of the ASX. He's old enough to remember the 87 stock market crash. From this came many lessons, including a desire to switch across to funds management. He found a home as a dealer at Mercantile Mutual and was planted in the middle of a treasure trove in the form of Greg Matthews, David Paradise, Peter Mowat and John Morgan. He progressed from dealer to analyst and then portfolio manager. At the turn of the century, he had a brief stint at BT where he worked with Brian Eli and before long, the two had hatched a plan to form Egg and do it their way. Looking back over 20 years, there were some difficult times. The first 12 months were a real grind, and then years later, Eli became seriously ill before passing away in 2018. Through all this, Egg has moved forward with Griffiths at the helm. And in the 20th year, the group is branching out into the mid-cap fund. No doubt there are plenty more returns and broker dinners to be had. Welcome, Ben. Happy birthday and 20 years. Thank you, Matthew, and for that very warm introduction. Thank you. That's my pleasure. And like... The comedian aspect, is that jump to generation? Because I haven't quite found that in you over the years that I've known you. Not quite, the old man was a bit funnier. Yeah, oh, my old man would, uh, obviously with years behind the microphone and, and, and standing alongside um, Roy Reen, or Mo, as he was affectionately known, the microphone, um, Dad, was a, Dad was an icon. Um, and Dad had an extraordinary sense of humour and would light a room up. So, I'm working on that, actually. Oh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm working I'm, on it. I'm kidding there. You're, you've got a great sense of humour, and you do. You deliver a terrific speech at the the 20th birthday a few weeks ago, or last week, I think it was, at Thank North you. Bondi. Your, your, your stalking ground there yes. at Bondi Beach. It was a terrific occasion, and a bit like your dinners that you've had over the years, which I hear are harder to get to than a Taylor Swift concert. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful night, and you made a good speech. Thank you. Yeah, it was. A lot of fun. Um, a worthy celebration, to, to, to borrow your introduction, um, certainly uh, worthy and, um, and just an opportunity to, to thank those that have contributed to the ups and downs, the journey, the, 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 the process of setting one of these businesses up and then staying the course. And you need people, you need a bit of luck um, and you, you need a good skill set and you need allies and, and the brokers that uh, made most of that most of that room up <laughs> at the celebration of those allies that, um, that, that that really help us. Yeah, well, it really reflects on you guys, I think, because um, brokers are full of stories about fund managers being difficult to deal with over the years, but I've never heard that come out of Egg. Egg's always been a good place to deal with and, and to have a relationship with. Deliberate I, strategy? Yeah, fair, fair and reasonable to deal with. Um, we have had several terse conversations with, with brokers along the way um, whose identity will remain nameless for the purposes of the discussion, but we've had plenty of um, ups and downs. And we, we've, we've been 
shortchanged on placements. Um, we've, we've bought pups when we should have bought um, high-performance um, sheepdogs. Um, and, but that's, but that's, that, that's, the, that's the, the business. And we soon, you know, over the, over the journey, you weed out the allies that are on side, the brokers that are working with you and for you, and you um, cast aside those that are purely um, banking a transactional fee. You know how it works. Yeah, no, the sorting process is really important for longevity. And before before we leave, the fact that you were celebrating the 20th year and your team there, and it was a good bunch of people, and I was lucky enough to get an invite on this one. Um, I don't know how I scored a ticket. It's like the golden ticket to, from Willy Wonka, but I've got one I'm very appreciative. But I suppose 20 years in small caps. I know you're going to the, to the mid-cap market now, and that's quite exciting in itself. But the small caps, tough world, an index... Small, small caps, the all, all smalls. It hasn't really moved that much in, in 20 years, but somehow you've eked out a performance, which we'll go through some of the highs and lows of that. But it's not an easy market, is it? No, it's not. It's not an easy market. Um, and you're right, the, the actual performance of that particular benchmark has been underwhelming, um, which is where we would argue that the value of an active manager comes to the fore. And if you see the performance of the median manager, who's the sort of the the mythical average manager, um, known as the median manager, he, he's a, he or she have been a handsome outperformer of that benchmark um, over at least 20 years. And in fact, the median small cap manager beats the small ordinaries benchmark and the ASX 100. So we've got some handy competition in, as you say, um, is a pretty tough space to navigate. There's a, a lot of moving parts. There's um, there's a there's fresh capital raised. There's, there's normally a plentiful flow of IPOs where you... You need to assess on the run, on the run quickly. Um, who the next um, good, good um, or good story is? Who the next uh, aspiring large cap is? Because they all start down in our in our part of the world. Um, that's where that's where they begin life. And it's very broad in the different sectors it covers. It's spot on. You got to be a generalist, as your old con- colleague David Paradise said. To me, I'll never hire someone who's not a generalist, and I think yeah. that's true. You have got to be across a lot of things. If you hire a gold analyst, you've got to own gold stocks. Um, we don't want that. We want we 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 adopt a more generalist approach. Um, we'll buy stocks and, and and sectors that we need to own um, for, for for either a macro setting or or, or a, a bottom up approach. Now we touched on your dad, and, yeah. and you had some um, glowing things to say about him, an interesting character. But let's go back to the. the the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which these days are a real glamour spot. We are just talking about off-air beforehand how in the 70s and 80s when you were growing up, Bondi in particular was, was the main streets of Bondi, and you grew up just nearby there. Good, good environment to grow up in, good, good mix of different people from around the world, interesting place. Yeah, it was certainly that. Um, when I went to school in the area, I went to the local government school, Dover Heights Boys High School. Uh, I, Captain? I gr- and was school captain in my in my final year. Well spotted, Matthew. Someone's done their research, but that's right, school captain. And um, I think one of the great things to have done at a time when Bondi was, as you as you say, rough and tumble, and there wasn't wasn't it wasn't wasn't anywhere near as glamorous, was join North Bondi Surf Lifesaving Club, which a whole bunch of us did. They were short on members. They were flat out getting patrols on the beach. Uh, you just couldn't attract people to to join surf lifesaving clubs back then. Um, I did with a bunch of mates, um, and I've been going down there uh, three or four times a week every week since I was 16, and that, nothing's changed. I, I see more of those blokes than I do my wife. Uh, and she uh, reminds you of that. No oh, doubt. No, no, no doubt. No, totally. So a really good environment. and Fantastic. 
just come back into your home, your, your dad, he was a comedian, but he was also in advertising. Yeah, dad, dad was... So he mixed that up? Yeah, a, he did. interesting mix. He did. Well, when, when, radio, when, the, when, the, when the vaudeville days and radio shows stopped and television arrived, and that's essentially what happened, it was the death of the, of the, of the famous uh, radio shows that dad featured in, and um, opportunities were few and far between. Television was the new medium. And um, Dad got involved in television through advertising. So he, he parlayed his not insignificant creative skills and character into advertising, joining George Patterson's as a, as a relatively young young cadet, and then progressing right the way through to a, being an associate director and, and very influential with television production in this country. And Dad is, my father's responsible for a number of famous campaigns that perhaps have been forgotten these days with the younger generation. But, well, I um, don't know, so rattle a few off. Yeah, oh, well, Ju- Julie Anthony with the um, Happy Dragon at St George was my, was my father's creation um, and, um, and Dad sponsored, essentially drove that campaign for, must have been almost two decades of Julie Anthony and the Happy Dragon. That was, that was um, Dad's hard work. Longevity. Yeah, um, the early VB ads where my father was involved in um, uh, with the catchy jingle. Um, oh, I... I there, there are a number of campaigns that, and and the old pal, pal dog food. Dad was involved in in that campaign from go to woe, launching pal into this country and putting it in, in every dog owner's pantry. So he would have sent a lot of companies, which is quite interesting. A, a lot of different people from different sectors. It, did that intrigue you, or that that wasn't really part of the conversation? It was more no, like the creative side at home. Yeah, look, my, my father knew that the creative the creative. Um, um, part of a vocation is is great fun and exciting, but the financial rewards aren't there. His mother was a strict, was a disciplinarian when it came to all things um, financial, and it in, in basically enforced my father in, into a, into a regime of every dollar that you make once you've paid the house off goes into the stock market and goes into blue chips in oh, particular. So was your grandmother. So my grandmother was um, a, a, an aggressively long investor, a big believer in equity, believer, and, and made sure her children um, did the same thing. My father, um, on the creative street, essentially adopted that mantra and essentially imparted it on all of us, uh, all of, all of my, my brothers and sisters. Uh, and I actually took to it and, and quite liked it. Um, and he enjoyed bought you it. Some BHP shares. That was know. the first thing. That was the first uh, first position was BHP, which I knew nothing about. Um, I knew about the. I'm pretty sure there were quarterly dividends back then. Certainly, certainly, uh, there was a couple of dividends a year, which I just could not believe that you just get sent money, and um, <laughs> and I went from there essentially. And my first job was a milkman, um, and then I was used to stack and clean shelves at a local delicatessen. Um, every dollar I made, uh, I put to work. Um, and, I, and without any exaggeration, I began, began building a shareholding in Western Mining Corporation that I'd done some research on. I was only 16, 17 at the time. I'd started the reading, the requisite reading, asked my father if he knew much about Western Mining, he, didn't, he knew the stock code, and that was about it. And sort of the process started. So, so I, where was that reading? What were you picking up? Oh, well, there was always a copy of the Herald uh, lying around at home, and, and I'd, I'd been given access to Dad's broker, um, at, at RF Arthur and Company, so I used to ring him and ask if he could send out any 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 research, uh, anything he had on on the on the stock market, which is truthfully how it all started. So I started my, my very elemental reading of stocks through broker research in, in the Sydney Morning Herald, and occasionally Dad always had the uh, the bulletin lying around as well. And if you remember, David 
David Hasselgrove. Yep. Used to run the Speculators Diary at the back, and it was a it was a one pager on stocks, sniffy was, spec stocks, that's more right, or more less. The small end of the mining yeah, sector. Yeah, exactly. But that sort of piqued my interest that there's more to um, investing in the stock market than just BHP and Western Mining. A lot of variety. So. Okay, so there's your grounding in the share market, but you find yourself on the ASX trading floor in the old open outcry day. So that, that was while you were still at school? Yes, I started a work experience program. I went cold calling across um, one or two brokers and, and Jones Grice and company, Doug Grice, um, said to me, all right, son, you've, 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 made, you've, you've beaten the path to our doorway. Um, why don't you come in and do your two-week work experience with us, which I was actually requesting the school... The school was going to place me at Waverley Council um, to do two weeks work experience, um, working on um, accounts receivable or something or some such task up there. And I said, what if I get my own job? What if I go out and find my own work experience job for the next two weeks? And the school said, sure. So I went and got a job with a broker. And Doug Grice championed my cause through, uh, through that program. And then every school holidays thereafter, I was invited into work on the trading floor, taking the buy and sell orders out in the old days, the open outcry. Exciting. Very exhilarating for a young fella and used to go out there and take the buy and sell orders out and then got to, got the hang of how this exciting frenzy and a mayhem down there at Bond Street where the, Sydney, the old Sydney Stock Exchange, as it was then known, was located. So I was down there um, amongst the cut and thrust uh, and as a 17-year-old, it was... Um, that would have been the early 80s? Yeah, it was. Coming out of it a was. recession? 1980. And, and charging towards that peak in 87. Would have been an interesting time in the 80s to be down there. Great. Um, you know... Two percent commissions. Um, it was it was a different <laughs> landscape then. Um, it, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. The the, the, the market was um, replete with um, characters, and uh, it was it was a it was a great place for a freshman like me to cut their teeth in how this business works. You know, you, you live and breathe the industry when you when you're immersed in it. It's one thing to read about uh, a stock in the speculator's diary in the bulletin. It's another thing to understand the dynamics of why that stock goes up and I'm, I'm watching it live move that watching day. it live correct and then being a part of it and being influential we were and I worked for Jones Christ they were a, they were a mid-sized broking firm through the 80s into the 90s and merged with Roach Tilly to become Roach Tilly Grice and became quite a significant group and part, I was sort of swept up with that I then qualified became a full trading floor operator after I finished uni and, and what, sorry what did you do at uni I, I did a commerce degree at it um at University of New South Wales, yep. major in accounting and finance. And and that was, for me, was a box tick. Get that done, right? Get the piece of paper, get the get the rudiments uh, on paper. Helpful in the long run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. G- gives you discipline. Um, gave me a good understanding for how accounting works, accounting, the importance of accounting audit, and the principles of business finance, which you, know, you, you need to be taught these things. But, but all the time you're working... At the stock exchange. That's right. That's right. That was where my, my appetite, my lusting was was to be was to be working rather than studying. Because not many of your mates would have been doing that, would they? No. no. So you, you were a bit of an odd one out in the sense yeah. that you found the share market on yourself almost. Totally. So between what my life was was study, broking and, and, and learning the business and then Surf Lifesaving Club where I was rowing at the time with North Bondi Surf Club. B, B, junior, juniors and then and then and then B's and the seniors. So my focus was, were those three areas. Good mix. So you leave school, then you're on the floor, yep. and then we build up to '87. Yep. What are your memories of that year and then the crash? Well, I, I remember it was it, it, it looked easy. Um, um, I remember some of the the great brokers of the time. Fred McClure is a name that rings a bell, um, and and Fred had an, had a, he had the Midas touch. 
he knew what stocks were you needed to own, and over the next twelve months they would they would tend to perform. He was aware of how the catalysts were going to fall into place, and and so my, my, my recollections were knowing that there are great brokers that are plugged in that have a corporate connection who have a feel for the market in the sense who who making money seemed to seem to come easily to. And there are others that are just processors who just who just fill orders in when people ring in. And so listening to Fred, um, I remember following a number of Fred's tips, um, and and making making a reasonable earn um, with my modest bet, of course, that I put down. Um, but it was it was it was getting an appreciation as to how brokers work, um, and then as you say, um, being on the trading floor, and seeing that the October um, 87 crash. Just, and just before we get to the crash, who, yeah. who was, Renee Rivkin was down there yeah, at the time? Yeah, he, he, was, he was down there, um, l- l- larger than life. Um, there were a whole ho- host of fiery characters, um, and I don't know where they've all gone. Uh, many have died off. Um, I, I hardly see any of the, the, the younger brigade um, um, who, who were young then. Um, but Renee Rivkin was probably the most flamboyant, who had a big reputation and would, would, would sashay around the trading floor, worry beads in one hand and cigar, not lit, but cigar in mouth in the other and, and, and shouting and making all sorts of demands. But there were, there, back then there were the days of the big takeovers. You know, there were bids for Carlton United Breweries. There were bids for when Fairfax was listed in its old form. There were bids for them. Um, Alan Bond was running amok. Uh, John Elliott had elders and was taking on the world. There was there was vibrant corporate activity, and it was and you, all you expressed. were seeing the bids take place on the floor. I guess. Oh, totally. And I was involved in blocking takeovers by being on the on on, on the board to try and block block bids, and 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 when big lines of stock were being crossed or transacted through the market, I had to block them. So no, we were it was cut and thrust. You, you were living corporate Australia, and there were lots and lots of there was green mailing, there was shenanigans, there were there were genuine. Takeovers. There was, you know, John Spalvins, Ron Brawley, You name it. They were. It was. It was a vibrant time. And then, of course, as you, as you were alluding to, the crash uh, in on October '87. And I remember, I just could not believe having seen what the Dow Jones had done on the Friday night, and and then being told that stocks across the board, if there's a buyer, they'll be down at least thirty percent, and probably down fifty percent. I just could not reconcile that a stock that was trading at $12 on Friday could so possibly be $5 this morning. It, that, and it was. That was the Monday morning in Australia. That's right, correct. And it was utterly extraordinary. And it's funny, they, they say they say that no one rings a bell when the market bottoms, and I know that not to be correct. I heard the bell ring that day when a long-standing client of Roach's had direct access to the floor because he had a lot of money and he was an influential investor and he was allowed to access... And he rang through after an hour and a half of trading when stocks had been decimated and put on this list of selling orders. And I remember the, the advisor next to me on the floor saying, Stan, it's too late. You either <laughs> sold them last Thursday or you're folding them away for the long term. It's too late. You actually should be buying. He says, you're not listening. Just get me out. Sell my NAB, my BHP, my CRA as so, they were so known So they, they were big... Liquid companies, massive, big blue chips, blue chips, and I remember that he he could not be talked out of the orders. The phone went down, and the advisor said to me, "That is the bell ringing when when someone just loses their bottle at the wrong time and dumps stock like this, the, the lows in." And I, I remember seeing that, witnessing what turned out to be lunacy, with the benefit of a couple of years looking back at that day, but the observation was a good one at the time um, when panic. When, when you see the whites of people's eyes and panic grips them and they do something as 
irrational as that and as highly emotion-charged, that's kind of where, where, um, where, where bottoms are made. So that was a bell-ringing episode. Um, yeah, yeah I, I know you, you talk a lot about bell-ringing, and we'll get through that through the various yep. points, but it, it's, yep. it's something we all look for because we're in small-cap land, things do move around a lot. That was interesting also because the crash came, it was kind of like a, a hurricane through the stock market and especially the floor, and a year later the floor was closed. That was the end of it. Yep. So an end of an era which kind of ended with a real bang. What, what happened to you there? Did you stay on the floor after that? Because a lot of people left even prior to the floor's closure. Yeah, I became a seats trader and then became an, an institutional dealer. Um, so I got a, got a, um, a, a nice little um, pocketbook of institutions I used to deal with and a couple of overseas clients and I began uh, my career as an institutional dealer. And is that is that where you thought, uh, I want to go to the buy side? The institutions were interesting people to talk to? Oh, totally, completely. It looked like um, that... That that felt a bit like that's for the main game is when you've got the pot of money and you and you, and you want to manage it and um, so I sort of got to work out um, who does a good job of it who's got the and who, who were you breaking to at that time oh well I was breaking to uh, BT and it's in 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 in, in the day um, Mercantile Mutual um, who of course um, I would ultimately work for but those guys. There are a number of smaller insurance companies that are no longer with us that have been merged up uh, Prudential and the like. Um, and a couple of overseas, um, a couple of overseas accounts that I'd cold called and were was shaping up to get them involved. And you talked to some of the people we've had on, on the on the podcast previously, and they did start as a broker, but they all made the point that they weren't a good broker. But I imagine that, that they were better on the buy side. I imagine though that you would have enjoyed broking as a young guy and, and just talking to people and absorbing the information. All of that. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was vibrant. It was um, every day was different, um, and it was very enormously satisfying. Getting getting a story, whether it's pushing the, the broker research or, or your own curated work, which I tried to do a bit of, and then trying to get someone to buy the story that I'd put the work into, and then actually getting a buy order in that stock, and being how how, how enormously fulfilling that was. And before we leave the eighty seven and the floor and that part of the era, what were some of the lessons? That, that, that huge rise in 87, then the massive collapse, and as you said, you couldn't believe the prices that were being printed. What, what do we take away from that? Because that, that's a foundation block for you going forward, no doubt. Yeah, no, no for sure. Look, I mean, every, every market will go... For, there's yin, yin and yang, there's overboughtness and oversoldness, and um, stocks will become overbought, but they'll always mean revert. Uh, the, the mean reversion trade is on; it will always be on, and so stocks return to a to their equilibrium point at some point. Um, and sentiment is one of the best indicators you can you can seize upon. You can look at valuation. Stocks don't crash because valuations are high. That's a pre- stay high a, for a long time. Correct. Uh, that's a precondition um, for a, a, a toppy market, but they don't crash on high PEs and they don't rally on low PEs. They crash and they rally on sentiment shifts, excessive bearishness. Uh, or excessive bullishness is really the um, you can almost sort of count to the day. It's such a point things. you make because a lot of people will tell me at various times in the cycle things are expensive, or things are cheap, or things aren't cheap. How can a market rally? And I kind of say, well, I don't think valuations in the first instance matter as much as you think. The valuation will appear later on because the market gets into a certain position and makes a decision going forward, which I think is a bit what you're saying there. Yeah, oh, totally. No, look, I mean, um, valuations can become outstretched and then stay extended for a long period of time. But it, it'll, it'll appear on the list of five reasons you're getting anxious about the market. 
and why you are trimming back and taking profits in in, in some of your stocks. I mean, I, I learned that um, you know when, when markets collapse, there's a liquidity hunt across the board. BHP will go down as fast as as fast as a spec spec will, but but a spec stock will stay down. It'll stay down for years, and assuming it ever comes back. But good quality names will revive and well, and, the business and underneath out. them is a much bigger, stronger business. It's a, it's a, it's exactly it's a, it's a genuine real business. Um, and so, and it's moments like that you've actually got to. These are portfolio setup points, and hopefully you've got cash allocated um, to take advantage of, because when the time comes to buy, in the situation like that, you will not want to. You will not want to buy. No, but they're always the best. And that's times. when you've got to do it. And uh, you look back at it, and and they're they're the setups. They're the, it's you got to feel instantly uncomfortable, um, <laughs> and you to to know that you've just put yourself in a, in a nice long term setup. So how do you make the leap? How do you go from the sell side to the buy side? Which in those days the buy side was probably the poor cousin in many ways in that in that early nineties. If we got to there, we've, we're in the middle of a recession, pretty tough times post the eighty seven crash. So how do you get across? How do you make that leap? Well, there, there was there was carnage in the broking industry from 1987, post the crash, through to probably about 1990. It was carnage. No one was employing. Brokers were either shutting or right-sizing, downsizing all teams. There were, there were very few opportunities and stock markets went sideways and there was not much going on. And, um, and so I couldn't get a start back in this industry, and so I, be, I joined the gold bullion industry. So I worked as a gold bullion trader oh, so you, for a you, year you, or your two. Your position was lost on the broking Gone, yep. gone. And then I saw an ad in the paper for an equities dealer at Mercantile Mutual, and I was I was satisfied but not fulfilled as a, as a bullion broker. <laughs> you're just trading gold or silver, and but you're uh, learning something. I learned plenty. It was it, it was it was it was different, but definitely definitely learned uh, learned plenty. And um, I applied for the job, and um, the then dealer at the time, John Morgan, interviewed me and said, "Maybe we've had 95 applicants for this role." And um, said, "Thanks to CV, I'll get back to you." And I just put the phone down and just moved on. Basically, I I got the message. Went back looking at the gold price. Yeah, went back, <laughs> and, and then next we got a call saying I'd made the final four, and then uh, and I got the then I got the job, and I was I was cock a hoop, as they say, I was wrapped. And uh, what year was this? Ninety one. This was this was not. I was interviewed in late ninety two, and I started in January nineteen ninety three. Which, if you have a look at the chart, you'll see that that's the beginning of what would be a six year rally, which culminated in the dot com six or seven year rally actually, which which culminated in the in the dot com highs in March two thousand. Um, and there were a few bumps along the way. And, uh, and in the introduction, anyway. I said you were, you were planted into a treasure trove of. I was. But probably at the time it wasn't known. There was a bunch of fairly young guys, um, correct, talented, all pretty hungry. Totally. I mean, the 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 um, Dennis Rope was the head of investments at the time, an outstanding market practitioner. Um, he retired. Greg Matthews turned up. He hired he hired David Paradise. He hired Peter Mowat, um, and John Morgan was of course part of the mix, and and the late Rainan Lubinsky. and this team. I I I um I look back at it. And a richer training ground you could not have hoped for. Um, 
it was it was extraordinary. And the guys were in early our meetings, our Monday investment committee meetings of an evening would finish at eight o'clock at night, um, and we'd we'd work out what we needed to be doing in the portfolios. The portfolios hummed they were, that we that we were great performers. What was the stock GARP, If I remember, you, you guys were pioneers. We were we, we were in a in an Aussie context Gro- growth at a reasonable price. That's it. That's it. And we were very much and to the best of our knowledge. Um, I can hear people now. I see people now. <laughs> listen to this, claiming the claiming likewise. But no, I think um, Mercantile Mutual, which became ING Investment Management, um, was certainly the pioneers of of, the, of that methodology. Um, but I was blessed and and learnt so much from 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 that team of professionals. Um, and did you did you get bits and pieces from everyone because they're all slightly different investors I, mean, I, I know Doug Paradise well Peter Mowat yeah. even those two are quite different but yeah. they worked together Greg Matthews was a was a great kind of fantastic uh, market player he was yes. good at the big end so anyone stick in your head or, or was it a bit from everyone look a bit from everyone on the learning side of things um, and but what I loved about it was if you showed promise and you looked like you um, had the metal had what they wanted um they gave you responsibilities, and I was the dealer. That all of a sudden, was given the resource sector to look after. Nobody wanted to look at the golds. I'd had some gold background, so I was the natural for the gold and, and, and metal sectors. Um, so I, I, I took up responsibility for that. Nobody wanted to do, and they still to this day. Nobody wants to do building materials, right? Nobody wants to know about boral and, and, and CSR um, or Pioneer Concrete, as, as was around in Hardy's. Um, good so money was, making places, if good, you get it right. Yeah. So I was given those stocks to cover. Um, because because the guys thought I could I could we'll see how how I went with with an unloved sector like building materials, um, but the beauty of that place was they loaded responsibility on and if you thrived they kept adding it, and then eventually they say you're not doing too bad a job here. Um, we're going to give you a live portfolio to look after as well as your stock sector. Do you remember what year that was? Yeah, that was um, about ninety seven. 97, I got um, that was my past first. Greenspan's irrational exuberance comment. Yeah, correct. So we're about to go into liftoff into that last. Yeah, and, well, and we had that, that 98. That you had the, well, 98, you had the Russian bonds crisis and you had long term capital management, LTCM, hit the wall in 98. So there were a few wobbles that had to be navigated, mm-hmm. but you're right. It was essentially seatbelts fastened, tighten up, and then we, then we have the big run out of 98 into 99, into 2000, early 2000. So. Um, and it was it was people like Peter Mowat and people like Greg Matthews who just sponsored me through and made sure that I had opportunity, that I wasn't idle. Um, doing the dealing itself, um, there's plenty involved in that, doing that role correctly. But to have all the added responsibility of um, analytics um, and then and then ultimately um, a portfolio or two or three um, was was was. Um, was, was very satisfying. And then and then I moved off the dealing desk and Peter Mowat said an opportunity opened up um, in the small cap area with the departure of um, David Paradise and said, Griffo, Peter Mowat said, Griffo, are you are you ready to um, take over what is a very important part of, of ING and that's um, the small cap portfolios. We have a number of wholesale and retail investors. Um, over to you. And so we hired Brian Ely around that time to join me. So Brian and I teamed up um, with live portfolios, very, very important um, portfolios as far as branding ING goes. These were small caps was where that business made its bones, more or less. So we, Brian and I looked after those portfolios for a couple of years. Um, so I, I, um, I've got to say, 
so much of how I've shaped and how I think about the world and how I conduct my every day is from the disciplines that came out of that team at uh, Yeah, they were, at they were a great bunch of guys. I remember being as a journalist yep. in the mid-90s. I think I first met you there. Yep. But they were all very approachable. And if you showed, as you said, even as a journalist, if you showed interest, yep. they were happy to talk to you and, and chew the fat about what, what stocks were doing. Great bunch of um, people. But we, have you employed that strategy of how you came through the system at Eli Griffiths? Is that is that the model that worked for you and, and then you've duplicated it years later? More or less. Uh, as I'm, I'm intentionally um, old school, um, so I intentionally want to home grow. Our, our talent comes on board and then we shape we shape the guys as to how um, what the Ely Griffiths Group way is and how we approach things and the process, but our attitude and philosophies. So certainly, I like to um, bring bring um, a new member on and um, who's suitably qualified, clearly, but then start shaping them in the ethos as to as to how we do things. And there are no corners cut at Ely Griffiths Group, as there wasn't at at, uh, at ING. There is there is a, a ton of work, and um, you're never idle. Uh, you're, you're out visiting companies. You're, you're updating models, um, or if necessary, you're sitting down with the client and you're walking through walking through how you're seeing the world with the client. So very much those learnings were, were from from that group were were, were critical. But and both Brian and I um, intentionally employed that, those sort of those sort of principles. And and how did the two of you get to BT after that great period at Mercantile Mutual and that great grounding? What yeah, what was well, the catalyst to go to BT? The, the, uh, an old fashioned approach, um, <laughs> money. Yeah, 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 and an approach, an opportunity more than anything else, an opportunity with somewhat of a blank sheet of paper. BT always had um, a small cap capability, um, but not in dedicated products. They had it as a part of their broader mandates. Um, BT wanted to have some bespoke small company micro cap funds, mid cap. They, they wanted a, a proper fleet of retail products, so they need a, a couple of managers that could manage the loot as well as talk to people and actually... Um, set up some products and run products, but but you weren't there for a long period. No, only a few years. No, it was it was um, well, not even that actually. Um, it was less than twelve months. Oh, that short. Yeah, yeah. We joined um, as it turned out. We joined as principal group of the US. We're planning on the sale of the Australian business BT here, um, and they were advanced as it turns out, uh, unknown to unbeknownst to us, uh, advanced plans to sell the business to Westpac. So we joined, um, got our feet under the table, um, and and then uh, by October, having joined in January, by October, uh, we were told that um, business had been transacted, had been sold, and, and that Brian and I were no longer needed. So we... we um, that's... <laughs> That's that's hard to take. That was that was, it was like, like that a was. thump on the head, was it? You didn't and, see it coming. No. And can I just tell you, Matthew, that um, we were in it was two thousand and two that happened, and uh, early two thousand and two. Terrible market. Um, it was a terrible market because markets were still cascading and rolling off from the dot com highs of of March April two thousand. So it was a terrible market, and the decision was made. Brian and I said, "Well, Brian said, do I go back to Perth?" Um, do I do something else? Uh, do we do we join another group? And because Brian had come from a broking house, in that's Perth, it. That's he? it. He was head of research at Patterson's at the time. I said to Brian, "We're going to do our own thing." There's a couple of set course. Jeff Wilson had done a half decent mm. job some years before, um, as you as you know well. Um, David, uh, David Paradise, Paradise started. correct. There was there was a building interest or demand. Um, there was some interest in, in a boutique type of uh, model 
And I said to Brian, we, we ought to explore this. We, well, we as you could, said, we could small, do this. small cap managers were our performers for whatever reason. Yep. We could do a whole different podcast on that. But it was the time. That's, that's when you did set yeah. up. So the benefit of looking, looking back, you see it and you go, geez, you set up a, like you set up the lows. So you, you opened the doors in January <laughs> in 2003 and there began the rally, literally. Um, the market rallied for four years hard to 2007. But you were the odd couple. Yeah, I, I like I knew you a lot better, but I'd, yeah. I'd met Brian on several occasions as an analyst. He he was a lot more reserved, a lot more bookish. Yes, you were, the, yeah, the the extrovert as such. That that odd couple, um, Oscar and Felix, that mm. that kind of worked for you, I gather. That yeah. was a good mix. Yep, that's certainly how BT spun it um, when we arrived. <laughs> um, but look, it, it, it was really about um, Brian was a. Uh, was an extraordinary intellect and his his forensic nature when it came to analysing companies was um, sort of second to none, to be honest. Um, and, and I had developed skills as well as an analyst, but I had that, um, and I, I think I've still got a little of that market mongrel, um, and and I, I love being on the right side of the trend. Yeah, um, good, I like buying the dips. The I, I, yeah. I, I, I pride myself in my, in my market instincts. My, my antenna is market-tuned. So the blending of Brian's style um, and, and my style created, created a, um, I think, something that um, it worked. Good it, it, worked, it worked really well. And we got on well. He was, um, Brian was a, a great fella, entertaining uh, all day long, um, as well as serious about the business of managing money. So let's go through the... the the key periods during um, Egg, as as we said, it was it was a nice nickname to get because everyone knew Egg and, and and it was nicely encapsulated. So the first year was, if I remember correctly, was a tough year for you guys. It, it was hard to get that money through the door. We were still the winds of the tech wreck were still um, sweeping through the rooms of small cap land. What just. Walk us through that. Did you think at any stage you'd made the wrong decision? And is that a right assessment? Was it a tough year? I was, I can tell you the first 10 months of 2003, because we actually won our first client in October of 2003, having opened the doors in January. The first 10 months were were, were, were miserable. And it was it was the old, <laughs> I, I learned about when you set a business up, setting up, um, running a small business is um, a series of reasonable highs, miserable lows, Interrupted by a capital call. I mean, that was life for the first 10 months. And um, it just you could not see how this was actually going to work. Were you managing your own money, were you? Was we had a, a very modest was? amount of money and we were frequently quizzed on that, um, and uh, which we were sort of a little bit sort of cagey about what we had. Um, and even on this podcast, I'll be deliberately cagey about the money we didn't have under management. It was tiny. Um, but we looked after looked after um, a, a small amount of money and uh, and and... Did a good job on that, and then luck struck um, in, in in October when Australian Scandia um, decided we needed to be part of their one of their program managers on a small cap product they were doing, and then a, a Queensland based super fund signed up. And by why you went? By Christmas we had hundred million under management, and it would um, have been a big Christmas party. The kids got Christmas presents. Um, <laughs> I was able to put a turkey on the table, and um, and we went on. So you built from there. Um, we'll lead up to 2008-9, which is a seminal moment for anyone who's been through the last couple of decades in, in the market like like you have and, and unfortunately for me as well. But what were some of the stocks that built you over the next five, six years that led into that? Because you built a very good business over that period. Can you give us some names before? 
that led up in that great bull market that yeah. back end of 07. Yeah, there, there were. Oh, you, you want to go back to the eighties? Or you, you want to you're, you're talking about Ely Griffiths Group, right? Yeah, 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 they, yeah. yeah. Just in that period. Sure. Look, the, 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 there were stocks that stocks that spring to mind instantly, which were multi baggers. They were high performance stocks in the portfolio. And to your point, you, you, you sort of you 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 you. you you pin your colours to a stock or a sector and you make a call and then hopefully they come in. Look, n- names that, that many of the listeners will be aware of, the old Jubilee Mining, which, which of course Kerry was Harmanis. a... Kerry Harmanis. and a tr- tremendous, um, tremendous nickel, nickel. And we were there when it was a, a prospector. He was exploring and ended up finding a, an, an extraordinary nickel deposit. Aquarius Platinum, when, when, when Platinum performed... Uh, as a commodity, it went, basically went vertical for a number of years and we were there with Aquarius Platinum and Stuart Murray was a great relationship, uh, an incredible CEO. Um, um, Andean Resources, which again, uh, we were introduced to that story, which was a, a, a gold uh, prospector in, the, in, the, in Patagonia of all places looking to work up a, a deposit. That became an extraordinary um, win for unit holders and then we ended up accepting a bid. Um, we owned XL Coal and um, that was... Um, um, there's a bit of a resource theme here, and I grant that we we weren't That's afraid, right, and in. we're still not a, we're still not afraid to 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 entertain good quality um, growth resource growth stories, ARB Corporation, which um, which everyone will know, and and United Group, which was a up and coming engineering group um, back Lupin. then. Richard Lupin back in back in um, uh, you know back in 2003, we had a substantial position there, and 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 each of those stocks were solid performers. We, we, we talked to our investors through why we owned them. We marketed those stories and stocks and we had extraordinary results. They're very memorable owns in those and, days. And so you hit the end of 07 and the first few ructions of the GSC are starting to hit. We come back in January 08 and the market falls 12 or 13 days straight. And for all of us in the market, we knew that maybe the great bull run was over. What... What, how were you preparing for that that tip of the market? Were, were you nervous leading up to it or did you go in and you just went straight over the cliff like most of us? How, how did you feel leading up to that period? Well, um, I remember the expression Brian used and the markets peaked late December 2007, if memory serves me correctly. And I remember the, the, the expression Brian used and that was investors have lost all respect for capital. There were companies that were floating on insane um, valuations and, and getting them done. There were, there were low-quality businesses that shouldn't even be on a public market that, that, were, that were actively covered and, and promoted and pushed. Um, there, was, there was somewhat of a party going on um, in, in, in the market and, um, and it, was, it was a buoyant time, but there were norm, enormous sleeves of excess that were, that were creeping in. Um, we, um, it's, it was stunning the way in which the market began to fall apart. I remember in early 08 talking to a, a fellow that worked at, at JP Morgan at the time and he said to me, yeah, something's, something came through the other day where it says JP Morgan is no longer permitted to trade with Lehman Brothers. <laughs> and he said, I don't understand what that means. It's like Westpac's not allowed to deal with ANZ. Um, he said, I don't know what that means, but it just doesn't look right. Anyway, so with that stuck in the back of our mind and we became very cautious in our thinking, our positioning, still couldn't get an explanation on that. Well, of course, ultimately what unfolded, of course, was the collapse of Lehman's. But that that was underway in, in January of 08, long before it actually was a public event and, and occurred. So we were cautious, very cautious, and had cleaned out a lot of the stocks that you know had perhaps didn't have 
the investment merit that they should have had. We sold those stocks and we didn't have many of them, thankfully. Um, and we just adopted a very conservative position and a lot of cash. So we went through 08 full of cash, lots of cash, as much as mandates would permit, and, uh, and, had, to, and had to defend that stance, by the way, as well. Um, clients were saying, I've already got a CMT, I don't need a small cap manager who's, who's masquerading as a CMT. Don't asset allocate, we can Correct. do that. That's it. So, so we get to the back end, and we're lucky we've had a few warning signals, and, and people remember the, the GFC around that August-September period, that's when it became more public and global. But you're, I've always known you and you always like to give us some, uh, you talked about bell ringing before mm. and, and you like to those turning points in markets. But I know you've always told me that when you go marketing, always take that, that headline, that front page of a newspaper. And I think it was back then you say, well, I've, look, it's here. I can see here's the headline. We're close to the bottom. You've got to look at this. And, and you've got a few of those that, that you remember quite clearly. Oh. Absolutely. I mean, I've, as you say, I'm a student of the front page, um, have been since day one. If you want to see sentiment expressed at its extreme, you, you, you have to wait for the, for, the, for, the, for the mainstream media to run with it. Um, look, I, I brought a couple of clippings in, actually, um, figuring that we might talk about this. October the 1st, 2008, where the market was rolling into what was an, a give-up situation um, and people were despairing. And the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald on that day was Fortress Australia, nation on economic war footing, plan to beat global meltdown. Um, and a little comment pretty, here, all isn't lost. Language. All isn't lost. A small sacrifice can save the planet. Like, they were the headlines, and you think, we're getting close. We're getting close to a bottom. Um, and then a month later... It, it, there was, the, there was a big meltdown and the AFR front page was bloodbath for Wall Street banks. Layman in record bankruptcy, Merrill Lynch sold for 61 bill, Fed's emergency funding and a big lift out on the meltdown. Your user guide to the meltdown that's unfolding. So these were, for me, these are a, a necessary precondition to make sure there's a sentiment, sentiment low in place. And I think we surged into a low in that November... Pretty soon after yes. that, we bounced a bit and then eventually Rolled. found the bottom in the March the next year. and March quarter, March quarter. And can I just, we talked, to, and earlier in the pod we talked about the bell ringing and I heard the bell ring um, back in 87. I heard the bell ring in March 2009 and I was sitting at, the off in my, at my desk in the office and I got a phone call from a nondescript industrial services group out of Melbourne and they said, I'm just calling in, I see you've got some Norfolk engineering, you've got 8%, we were going to buy them, we're going to bid you now for them. Uh, you've also, I think you've got some RCR Tomlinson, uh, 5% of the company, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, we'll take that as well. I said, hold on, just a minute, who actually are you? And why are you <laughs> ringing me and bidding me? Why aren't you going through a broker? What is this actually all about? And these guys said to me, look, we buy and sell industrial assets, that's what we do for a living, and and we're purveyors of value and valuations, and when the listed market valuations are cheaper than the unlisted market, which of course never happens, as the listed market is always more expensive, when the listed market is cheaper than the unlisted market, then we go shopping in stock markets and it doesn't get any cheaper than this. So I said, thank you very much for your inquiry. Thank you for your enthusiastic bid for my shareholdings. Um, well, we're not selling today. Thank you for the call and, and all the best. I put the phone down. I said to the guys, I've just heard the bell ring. Ding, ding, ding. That's it. The bell is rung. All right. Um, the low is in. We may drag on the bottom, but stocks are now being priced. You heard, it, you heard it from the man. Stocks are now being priced 
at extreme settings. It's now time to buy. And literally from March 09, we started spending our cash hoard and we started buying stocks that we could sleep at night with, the stocks we'd always wanted to own. That we, and we weren't tempted in, as you mentioned, in October the year before. We, we, we were able to fine-tune our timing to about March 09. And, of course, the markets just went vertical, not from March, but from about May when confidence yeah, started swinging. Right, and then, and then so up it, it went. It was quite a long bottom in, in uh, uh, hindsight. Uh, I remember someone taking 5% in Waddle, who was this guy in Melbourne who... Just an unlisted guy who was in the paint market knew it. Mm. It was just a private guy. And we kind of said, oh, that's interesting. A bit similar to what you're saying, not the direct call. So let's move forward. And, of course, Brian gets sick a number of years later and, and eventually passes away. Pretty tough times. I know he stayed in the business for many years when, when he was ill. Um, still doing work. He obviously loved it. How, how did you handle that? that? That's a big change. And I, underneath that, obviously, you'd, you'd employed David Allingham. Who who become a, a very good right hand man in Sydney? Yep. But but Brian had gone back to Perth, I think, at, at some stage. Yeah, Brian, Brian went, Brian went back to Perth, um, and his his health was failing. Um, he was determined to stay in the business. He was determined to stay on the stocks. We told all our clients from from the get go that, that that Brian had a condition that was going to get worse, and for as long as he's able to, he'll stay in the business, and that's what he did until until he physically was unable to to come into work. Um, we'd as you mentioned, we'd, David Allingham had been hired many years before. Uh, we hired Tim Sargent and we started to fill the team out um, and um, made sure the bench was strong enough. Um, and, and I knew that the bench was going to be strong enough and the, and, and the, the, the in-house um, capability of our group was um, stronger than one person, not taking anything away from Brian, but stronger than just one person. It could have been me. We were a strong, vital group that was um, that, 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 that could get through this, but your clients need to be reassured. Um, and we got through that process, um, and, and the group um, thrived, um, thankfully, and markets were, were, were kind and, and, and we were able to keep pushing on. But it was a very distressing time. For, um, for for the business, there's no doubt about it. For all, and for and all for its members, personally, no doubt. Oh and no, it was a, it, a, a lovely touch was that your twentieth birthday. Said a couple of weeks ago, Brian's wife was there. Yes, and yeah. that, that's nice. Yeah, Sim Sim made along to the the celebration, and um, and uh, he would have been of of what what this business has become. He'd be justly proud. He'd be blown away. So no, we miss him terribly. We're, we're getting towards the end of our hour here. And I would, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about markets today because you've always got to be on markets. You're, you're one of the few people I know. Most people say, oh, it's tough, or they give you some vague answer. You spent a lot of time, and you've done podcasts with Livewire talking about where it's at. And, uh, are we at a turning point, which you've mentioned a few times? So where are we? And maybe um, give us a little bit where you think small caps are as sure. well. Sure, Look, I, 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 um, I would describe us as being we're at the early stages of a pause rally and that's what it is it's all about the fed the fed's pausing and historically um markets rally through the through the pause the pause um stage and and the average pause rally something like nine months i was reading um reading the other day um so we're we're in the teeth of a pause rally and we saw i think we saw a very good low in the s&p 500 at the end of end of october um and that was reinforced um, in the week, first week or two of November with what I call a 10 to 1 up day. And a 10 to 1 up day on Wall Street, 10 stocks go up for every one stock that falls, uh, are very rare. 
you don't actually get them. And um, when you see them, uh, you ought not ignore them. You, you, you need to you need to see that as confirmation that um, the move that we're underway with has got legs. So a 10 to 1 update in the middle of November, um, for me, um, reinforced that there is a there is a pause rally underway. Um, I think, do we go to the July highs of this year? Uh, the S&P 4600, I think. Um, I think that we're, we're with... With this rally right now? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. So I think we take that out. Um, and then we've got the 4800 um, high. Uh, there, but it's not... It won't be straight, straight smooth sailing, because um, it never is. But the preconditions are right for it. There are the usual sort of cross currents we're going to have to get through. And one is it's become a little bit too consensus that the, if you listen to, you read some of the Wall Street commentators and so many are talking about a 5,000 S&P for, for 24. It looks like it's a bit of a slam dunk. Um, that unsettles me when when people are just, have just penciled in five 5K and, and, we'll, and, and we'll just take it from there. It's not that simple. Look, the VIX is quite low. I've been watching that. It's had 19 or at least 19 consecutive prints downwards. So that suggests a little bit of complacency that the rally is going to kick. And so that, that, that troubles me. There's a, a very low level of stock correlation in that US stock market now. Less and less stocks are actually forming a part of that rally. That's, that's, not, that's not, a, not a great sign. And, and, and the equity risk premium um, is, isn't sort of where it should be. Um, although stocks can rally with a, a very low equity risk premium for years, and they did it through the 90s, so I'm mm. less worried about that. So I think stocks march upwards. Um, interesting the other day, Matthew, I, I, I saw a great a great little note on the um, S&P 495. Um, 495 is, of course, the you know excludes the top five, and the S&P 495 has posted some terrible results this year. Um, I think you look at the... We've had four negative or three negative quarters of EPS growth in the S&P 495, forecast to do a negative 4% in the Q4. So four consecutive quarters, we've just been through a profits recession in the US, masked by the fact that the the top five have glossed over it and it's it's all all systems go. So we've kind of had a bit of that corporate slowdown. Um, Already it's been unfolding under our feet. So I wonder whether that's sort of behind us and now the market looks, the market rallies because it's looking for interest rate accommodation. What is at the end of a pause rally? Mixed results there. Mixed results there. Um, I know, I think, basically, I think three out of the last five pause rallies have ended in, have ended in, a, in, a, in a market correction of sorts or a pullback. Um, and, and two haven't. So... I don't know. Um, we'll have to work it out when we get there. We'll, we'll work it out when we get there. But my, my, my point is that we've been through an earnings contraction, an earnings recession, without even knowing it, really. Um, and the small cap market in Australia, which reflects the Australian economy more than the big cap world, yep. it's going through that period right now. Yeah, totally. Earnings are, are flat to down. Yeah, fl- flat to down. Um, and and you, you're, seeing, you're seeing with the most recent AGM updates that there are some, there's some revisions to to trading outlooks and, and, and sentiment, certainly on the consumer side, is being dampened down a little. Um, that, that's that's uh, to, to be expected, I think. Um, It'll get dragged up with the markets. Well, valuations are such now that um, it, 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 it looks cheap. It look, the small cap space is cheap. It's on sale. Um, there's quite a little... And it's not just Aussie small caps, coincidentally. I mean, look at the Russell mm-hmm. 2000 and the Russell 3000. Near lows, yep. Yeah, near lows. And like the Russell series, the Russell 2000 has traditionally traded a big premium to the S&P 500 for years. It's now trading at a discount. Mm. So there's been a global give up in in all things small, in corporate small. And um, and I think with my, my, counter, my counterintuitive um, hat on, um, uh, it's... 
that, that's where you get buy setups. And so that that applies to your new mid cap fund that they've been left behind as well. Totally outside that top end. Correct. So mid caps have also suffered the same the same affliction. Um, and so we we thought the timing for a mid cap fund to take advantage of of um, what has historically been a, a, a terrific sweet spot in the market. The timing is good for it right now. Um, so we've we've launched and there's been a, there's been a great response. So Ben, the setup looks pretty good. I, I presume that carries well into twenty four. So let, let's talk a bit about twenty four, extrapolating from the pause rally. Maybe some areas, some stocks that you think you can make money out of. And, and am I right in assuming that twenty four should be a better year for equity markets, especially the ones we participate in? Yeah, one of our favourite strategists, Jim Paulson. It made made the comment that um, the low's not in unless the high's in. That is, the low in stocks is not in unless the high in inflation's in. So the low's in when the high's in. Um, we loved it, and and that was a bit of a mantra around Ely Griffiths Group. Um, I think central banks have done what they need to do. They've tamed inflation, and to your point, I think twenty four we should see the pause rally extend and should be should be good. Stocks and sectors, what we should be what you should be doing. I mean, look, I think it's a truism to say that um, good quality well-managed industrial franchises at appropriate valuations will always do well. And today's circumstances is no different. You know, stocks that we, we, ha- we have in Ely Griffiths Group, ARB Corporation and Boral, those, those are, are two names um, of, of, good, of stocks. Good mid-cap fund. Good, good, good couple of mid-cap names, um, correct, correct. So those, so those sorts of stocks will, you know, you you, you would expect will would um, should, should 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 fare well. And and resource companies, I mean, terrible year for resources. It's been it's been terrible. A number of the golds have done well, especially in in, in the last week or two. But um, look, as, for as long as there's going to be pronounced structural deficits in industrial minerals and metals, um, now, now the lithiums have come back. It's been it's been a bloodbath, but. But 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 you know longer term the fundamental story is 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 not disappearing there, and and the, and the demand side which is a bit beaten up right now but as but as we see a Chinese recovery and generally we we get back on the economic recovery, you'll start to see those those deficits come into play. We 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 own Capricorn uh, Minerals and we own uh, and we own Genesis um, as well. There's two really exciting gold names um, across the portfolios. So what, the, what about the the other the broader metals? Anything you like there? It's hard pickings down there at the moment. Um, there's one or two we're doing work on, which I'd rather not share on this podcast. Yeah, so it's time to look, but maybe not quite time to buy that part of the market. That yeah, I think that's right. As demand picks up. I think that's right. I think that's right. Metals typically aren't your early turners in a market. They're later. Yeah, correct. Correct. And we will need evidence that there's a recovery at foot in China and that we're through the worst of it. So... Before we see the pulse there, but um, but resource stocks, yeah, there's a place for there's a place for those stocks uh, at, at the at the right time. Well, I can't believe the hour's up. Happy birthday on the twenty years. Thank you, Matthew. Top market, always always a pleasure to see you in the street. You're always up and about and plenty to talk on markets. And really, thank you for coming in today. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Thanks very much, Matthew.